You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast, MWWire.com, where you can find all of our, apparently Matt right now, previews galore we're doing, a little a couple basketball things. We're going to have some rankings coming out, so we're getting there. We're close. Trudging through the offseason together, as we say. That's true. We're within 100 days now. I think that matters. It's We're about 80 days, I think, right? No, maybe something, even. Something like that, yeah. No, because I do recall, because we're recording this uh, June 14th, so depends when you hear this. That's when we recorded it. I know week one games, because I think they... I'm tracking, obviously, the Utah-BYU game from my end. That's like 82 days, so, and that's week one, and that's a Thursday. So I want to say we're under, within 75 days, possibly. It's pretty good. That's less than three months. Assuming there are no hiccups, of course. Uh, don't Which, jinx. Fingers crossed. Yeah, we're hoping because, uh, not that we're doing news thing, but University of Houston shut down practices today, or this week. You've had Alabama, had a handful of players, Auburn, different places, shutting practices, closing practices, limiting, all stuff. So we'll see. But this is a test run, right? We'll see, see how to handle it, and then they'll hopefully progress and move on, right? Mm-hmm. And make adjustments. But we're talking about the this week. New Mexico Lobos fans spoke loud and clear in our polls. We're talking Lobo football, and like we always do, as you like to bring up, because I forgot last week. Let's go back to last year where Bob Davy made his final run through the desert and was a uh, released on a horse somewhere to drive. I don't know. He's not in town anymore. That's what I'm saying. It was it was underwhelming. To say the least, like it, it wasn't the total disaster that I think some prognosticators thought it would be, you know, and if I recall, you know, from this podcast this time last year, I think we were both in agreement that you know, we weren't expecting them to compete, but I don't think either one of us was expecting them to go 0-12 or anything like that. And, you know, there were things that they generally did well throughout the season. It was just a matter of, you know, some things that were really severe Achilles heels on both offense and defense that ultimately led them to another disappointing season and yeah, ultimately too. led to Davey being shown the door and really kind of ushering in this new era that we're dealing with now with Danny Gonzalez as the head coach, Derek Wareheim as the new OC, uh, new old face Rocky Long coming back as the defensive coordinator. And, you know, when you look at last year, you know, they were 118th 
in the FBS. They were dead last in the Mountain West by net points per drive. They were, you know, minus 1.4 points per drive compared to their opponents. They were 119th by SP Plus, which I believe was also the worst figure in the conference. So you're telling me not good. It, It wasn't great. But, you know, this new coaching staff coming in, obviously some of the early returns have looked very promising as we record today. They're currently second in their in the Mountain West as far as their 2021 recruiting class uh, is concerned. You know, they're neck and neck with a team like UCF as far as being able to bring guys in the door, which is a credit to Gonzalez and Long and everybody else on that staff. There might be some growing pains in year one, but at the same time, it's not like he's inheriting a bare cupboard. And so, it, 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 while I'm not off the bat expecting them to be contending for a bowl right away nope they should have the capacity to bounce back at least a little bit and you know between the coaching staff between some of the pieces they have coming back you know again i'm not i I don't think it's going to be an outright disaster i don't think they're going to come back and immediately be a contender for anything but they should be interesting and i think that that's more than a lot of other teams elsewhere in the group of five can say yeah we'll see because what they're what they're known for before they switch up their offense like the reason they were almost won the Mountain Division title and they beat Boise State a couple years ago, they were running something so unique that nobody ran. So it's like you heard say before, a service academy is a, a triple option or you do the air raid like Mike Leach or teams like that or what we saw last year with uh, Rolovich of Hawaii. Their offense was so unique. It wasn't only that wasn't the only thing. It's not. It wasn't a gimmicky offense. It, it looked gimmicky, but they always had the explosive running backs for years and years, mm-hmm. and they didn't have that the past two seasons. Even because had they switched to, or I mean, they did switch to the offense a bit. They like of uh, was it Bob the best from former same recent state coach. He's running the what pistol triple option wing T, just something multiple backs behind there. Moving to more traditional offense, they still could have run the ran the run the ball very well. They didn't have the the athletes or players they moved on whatever i know it's partly scheme because when it's when it's different you don't see it that's an element of surprise or uniqueness we also have to have talent to break off 30 40 plus yard runs we saw all the time seemingly 20 plus yard runs during the middle part of davies run where they're actually pretty good and so they've done it and they have guys coming back like you mentioned it'll be a different offense again they still have a lot of whoever bob david recruited all the juco upper juco guys they brought in that's going to be a issue as well with Danny Gonzalez. How's he going to balance the recruiting? And from what you said and saw the tweets you put out today, they've been recruiting high school guys for the most part, which is what you need to do because you can only go so far to bring in Juco guys like Snyder did at Kansas State. That's very hard to replicate and be very good for a long term like he was. So they got to do a mix like most teams do, right? And we talked about this last year, the fact that Davey brought in so many JC guys with his last recruiting class and you know, while well, there were you know at least a couple standouts who we'll we'll talk about as we go through breaking down this team, mm-hmm. but for the most part, you know, a lot of those guys just didn't pan out right away, and so it kind of put this new coaching staff behind the eight ball. I mean, to your point though about what the team previously did well, like when you look at what they were able to do last year and in, in thinking ahead to twenty twenty. They were able to do some of those things that they maybe not necessarily to the same extent that they did in the yeah, that 2015 2017 era, but you know the running game, for instance, on a per carry basis, was actually second best in the Mountain West last year. You know they were averaging almost five yards carry, it's and they had a pretty explosive passing game. You know they they had a, a 
an 11.8% rate of 20 yard pass plays. And that was better than more heralded passing attacks. Like, you know, like Hawaii, for instance, like Utah state, like Nevada problem was at the same time, they were their 49.2% completion rate mm-hmm. was the worst That's that the team had all decade long. And, you know, again, this is a program that had some very anemic offenses um, that kind of bookended the decade. So when you look at something like that, you know, you can see some areas where there's definitely going to be improvement. You can see that they still have plenty of speed on offense, and, and a lot of those explosive weapons are coming back. But I think if we're going to talk about the offense first, the name of the game, the biggest question is finding more efficiency. Yeah, because really, before we move on, like they were, you mentioned their second yards per play, they had fairly good passing and like you mentioned outside percentage problem is they couldn't score points they got stuck yeah. 22 a game and so had their and they were they were plagued by turnovers too. yeah that was another thing they were yeah. dead last in the mountain west and turnover margin as well it doesn't help yeah you don't score points whether it be you get stuck somewhere kicking game might be not good or the turnover margin which we talked about as we'll probably talk about every team if you could swing that just a little bit here and there for what team was it a couple was it csu had the same issue we talked about more recently where their uh, turnover margin wasn't great i believe and if you make that, yeah, CSU was 11th. They are, are minus 11 and 11th. New Mexico minus 15. That's you're losing term. You're averaging losing the turnover margin every game at minus 15. And yeah. so part of it is they gave up a lot, 26 of their own. They only gained a little bit, so defense needs to do a bit better. But like if they change that to like even minus five, who knows how many points that could be? Could that be an extra win or two possibly? Like to be even or part of it's luck, as you always talk about how the football bounces and jumps around and tips around in midair, what it can do. But still, there's also a, a skill factor in not getting the ball ripped out of your hand or you ripping the ball out to cause mm-hmm. something. So they need to get better at all of that. And there's always going to be unlucky bounce or lucky bounce towards them. But if you can mitigate the risk factor, being careful with the ball, not like looking where you're going to throw and not making bad decisions. That's a way to mitigate that. And then other stuff, it'll just happen. And so if they can change that, who I don't know what they'll change it to, but just don't be dead last. Right. And you're going to be better. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so yeah, that's, and that's I, tough. You know, the biggest, most important question, I think to, to, to try to answer as soon as possible is who's going to play quarterback because their situation going into 2020 is not totally dissimilar to what it was going into 2019 where they had you know three different guys vying for the starting job and and obviously last year the uh, off-field issues were not I should I shouldn't say off-field issues but the personal matters that Tavaka Toyoti had to attend mm-hmm. to kind of took him out of the running and he wasn't you know when he finally did play he wasn't quite as effective as he had been in 2018 um you know, you have to imagine he's probably going to have the inside track to the starting job, but he didn't necessarily cover himself with glory, and neither did Brent Hughes and Trey Hall when they had the chance to to be, you know, to get playing time under center. So, all three of those guys are coming back. Who's going to have that job? You know, how long are they going to take to make that decision? Is that the kind of thing that's going to extend into the regular season? And when I guess I wouldn't they? be, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case, but. You know, I think figuring that out first and foremost, because, you know, like I said, as a team, just it's 49.2 percent completion rate is just unacceptable. And, you know, having a touchdown to interception ratio of worse than one to one is unacceptable. And, you know, when he was on the field, I think it's worth noting that Toyota was able to create a lot of explosive plays. Yeah, you know, I, I was looking this up and one of the things I was surprised by was um, so I'm trying to find this in my notes. 
that I think he was in the top 10 nationally as far as yards per completion. It's just, you know, there was a lot of times last year where as, as an offense, it seemed like the kind of the plan was to just kind of chuck it up and hope for the best. And so you kind of have to hope that he can be a little bit better than that. Or, or if it's not him, then Hughes or Hall or whomever, you know, I think that's really kind of the starting point is, you know, you have to be a little bit better throwing the football. It can't all be about those 50, 50 passes and hoping that the guys, you know, you send down the field and go up and get Yeah, it. you're right. Cause he was middle of the pack yards per attempt nationally, but here's a good yeah. thing. He played the most last year. He had mm-hmm. the most production. He was the best quarterback of the bunch. I would say, because yeah, seven TDs to six picks is not good. Sherryon Jones, who's not bad, but like two for seven. Like, what are you doing with that guy? Um, yeah. Stuyoti has legs. He can run the ball a little bit. He averaged like f- just over five yards per carry. Um, his percentage was actually above 50. And also, which we'll get to in a minute, they bring back their top five pass catchers. Yeah. And Elijah Lilly is back as well. So it's like mm-hmm. they have a chance that maybe what Bob Davey was looking at, like recruiting these guys and whoever's coming back, like he brought in. They wanted to change wide receivers. They wanted to move away from that running attack, which even though it just still boggles my mind, they went away from that for how successful it was. Now they're hmm. almost doing a full pendulum swing. We'll see what Danny Gonzalez does, but they you got to work with what you got in your t- cupboard, right? You've got receivers. You're going to pass the ball more. And so hmm. it takes – here's the thing. He has the leg, so that should hopefully allow him to sidestep some more sacks, create plays, extend plays. He has all this talent back. Not great talent. Lily's pretty good, obviously, but – they don't have amazing talent coming back overall, but hopefully just being familiar with the guy, him having, because right now the NSA said they're basically approved teams can start working out six weeks before their first game. Mm-hmm. And so that's an, is that an extended fall camp? I believe because normally it's about a month, right? I think so. Yeah. So they're trying to help make up a few practices here and there. So we'll see. Assuming that goes to the case, they're a week zero game because they got they have Idaho state. That's what middle of July. So from now recording about a month where they should be able to be on campus We'll see what practices look like, but they'll at least get a look because you can make it work with throwing, got like just have the not even seven on seven, but just running routes and stuff, like getting throwing to guys, see who's open, who can do what, who's the best mm-hmm. quarterback. It's different than full football, but I'm leaning toward it's going to be the guy who give me the guy who played the best last year. So I would leave mm-hmm. with Tavaka Tuioti to be the guy. However, I don't think it's a clear cut. You're the guy no matter what. I would expect when we get when they when we see them sign up or suit up versus Idaho State. You're going to probably see at least two quarterbacks just to – it's almost like a scrimmage, a tough one, just because New Mexico shouldn't be – not expected to be great or very good this year. But it should be – they should win the game clearly, but it should give them a chance to say, okay, you're going to play here. You're going to play two, maybe three guys, like an extra scrimmage to see where they can be. But I'd lean toward the guy who's been around longer. Not that that means too much with the new system, but he's shown to do some good things, and I would lean toward him. Because he mm-hmm. had he not gone last summer – last year was his uh, – grandfather passed away i believe it was your grandmother yeah so he missed part of fall camp and he would have been the guy all of last year who knows how much numbers would have changed obviously more attempts clearly because he'd have played more but he would have been like had he been last year there'd be no question he'd be the clear-cut number one starter so that's why i'm leaning toward past history to what should be the case that he should be the likely starter yeah, and I think that the situation is kind of the same when you look at the running game as well because that was on offense the one thing that they did uh, best and most consistently last year, you know, the big question is, you know, who's going to be the number one guy that now that Amari Davis has moved on? Cause mm-hmm. he proved to be a pretty pleasant surprise. You know, he definitely had his moments where, you know, he stood out and especially in the games that where they were most competitive last year, you know, even the competitive loss against Hawaii, he had 200 yards, you know, he's gone. 
and it's not like they don't have options, mm -hmm. but there's no clear cut, you know, I think bell cow kind of guy. I think, you know, one guy you look at in particular is Bryson Carroll, who yeah. looked like he could be a, a home run waiting to happen just in terms of, you know, the, the explosive plays that he was able to put together last year. You know, he had 15 carries of over 10 yards, and that was that's about a 14% clip, and that's better than some of the, you know, more heralded running backs that were in the conference last year. Obviously, that's a limited sample size, and you know, there's still a question of, well, they, do they want him to have more than 10, 12 carries a game? And if that's the case, you know, he's kind of a smallish guy, and most of the running backs on their roster are in that same kind of boat. You know, there were other guys who had their chance to make a dent. You know, Devon Vigilant, for instance, Kentrell Moran, uh, Micah Gray, Bobby Cole, especially in, the, in those last two games. You know, he had, I think, between 10 and 12 carries, and he averaged six yards a carry. Yeah, so, 72 to 58 yards, Air Force, Utah yeah. State. So he might be a guy that's in the mix as far as being kind of that 1B running back. Um, so, I mean, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I think that they, the fact that they have options is a promising sign. I think if they can hold on to most of their gains in the ground game last year, you know, it's going to be a really tall task expecting them to be as explosive as they were. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's possible that they could be at least. Yeah. Well, that, they could, that they could hold on to most of that, even we'll if there is some aggression baked in. It's true, because Davis last year, the starter 140, Carroll 105, mm -hmm. give him 50 more, 30 to 50 more carries, give him 150 or so right in that range. That shouldn't be too much to ask, I don't think. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Next yeah. guy up, and so you're right with all the options, who, whoever it's going to be. And looking at just the long running plays, not even going through like like you did the uh, longer runs that he had. They have mm -hmm. a six, they still have explosive plays: 67, 56, 48, 35, 37. They've a career or season longs for these guys. There's seven of them, which is clearly more. Were 20 plus. That's not including like Davis, who not that he's back, but his long was 67 or Carroll, like you mentioned. They're mm -hmm. making big plays, and so it may not be as exciting years past. There's only a couple of huge ones, but these guys average like the whole, you mentioned the whole running game was second in yards per play in the conference. Yeah, like, I mean, you don't have to look at anything more than opportunity rate. You yeah. know, last year their opportunity rate as a team was fifty one point eight percent, and that was nineteenth in the country. You know, I think there's there's a good chance that they could still be in the top fifty, and I think that if that's the case, then I would imagine a lot of global fans would still be pretty happy about that. Yeah. Especially if, especially if it's buoyed, especially if that regression is buoyed by a step forward in the passing game. And definitely, it's like it's that's going to be like the running game. If it's exactly the same as last year, that would be really good. Mm -hmm. And if the passing game goes from like five percentage points better, say say it's Toyota gets to fifty five percent for the season, which is only slightly better than what he did last year, they. Go. What do you think? Twenty and ten is okay for TDs interceptions. That's not great, but that's fine. That's a little bit better overall. Be that caused Tuiotti to be a lot better, like almost triple his output. But remember, he didn't play every game. Yeah. If they can do that stuff, like they're, they're, clearly, I don't think they're going to make a bowl game. But 
it's just these lit a small percentage gaps of where they could be in games. Like it'd be pull off some sort of minor upset when they're playing these games or even win a game they didn't think. But they're – I was thinking this could be like a year zero thing, but I think they're – looking through this stuff, I think they're maybe in a little bit better shape than we thought. It just yeah, might I mean, be in two years where they have to recruit all these young guys to step up because Davey brought in 12 JUCOs last year. Yeah, I mean there's a there's a capacity to surprise, and I think that that is maybe most self-explanatory when you look at the receiving core. Because they may not have a, you know a, a Warren Jackson or a Khalil Shakir type standout. Who needs it? Come on. <laughs> but, 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 but like we talked about a moment ago, the one thing that they proved they could do pretty well is is make the most of those fifty fifty passes. You know, you mentioned the fact that they've got pretty much every guy who had at least ten catches coming back. You know, excepting you know Aaron Molina. But you know, you look down the line. And you look at the yards per catch figures of all these guys. Jordan Cress, for instance, only had 28 catches, but he scored six touchdowns and averaged almost 19 yards a catch. Pretty good. You know, Marcus Williams only had 26 catches, but he averaged almost 16 and a half yards per catch. And that's, I believe, the fourth best figure by any Mountain West tight end over the last decade. It's up there. So, yeah, and and even guys like Ansel Amume, who only averaged 13 yards a catch last year, when you go back to what he did in 2018 – He's a guy who averaged over 19 yards a catch then. So, and, and you go down the line, you know, you mentioned Elijah Lilly's coming back after missing most of the year with injury. So is Jay Griffin, the fourth. You know, Manuel Logan Green is coming back too. You know, he only had 19 catches, but he had kind of limited playing time. Yeah. You know, same thing with a guy like Cedric Patterson, only eight catches, but he averaged almost 25 yards a catch and scored twice. They may not be household names, but. You know, if they can hang on to a lot of that explosiveness that they developed last year, this is an offense that can, you know, absolutely cause some headaches if they can take a step forward just being able to move the chains a little more consistently. Yeah, I'm looking at Lily really quick. The year before, when they were running more, he had five touchdowns on only 21 catches. Yeah. And nearly 18 yards per attempt. So they have the pieces here to, again, it's be difficult, new head coach, no spring, We'll see what fall brings, see how the season shapes out for just anything in general. But like they have a fairly decent base here for guys like, I know Tuyata's going to be a junior, so he'll be back here after that. Some of these receivers, receivers will be back again and running backs. Like This is a time where in two years, well, they will need to rely on a bunch of younger guys, like I mentioned, because David went Juco crazy. Like, mm. This could be a team in three years, could be like an eight, somewhere in the neighborhood of above, better than a bull team like a seven plus wins possibly yeah things... i mean i think that there's there's definitely obvious areas where the team can improve you know one thing yeah. that was that really doomed them last year was the fact that you know just in terms of the passing offense it took them a long time to get going mm-hmm. you know in the first half of games the the team had a passer rating of 92 and had three touchdowns against eight interceptions so by the time they were by the time they buried himself <laughs> into like a what a 10 to 14 point hole mm-hmm. that was you know too insurmountable most weeks for them same thing with you know third downs you know they were one of the worst teams in the conference in just being able to move the chains you know they were completing 43 percent of their passes on third downs four touchdowns eight interceptions you know just there are just obvious things like that that you know whether it's tuioti or whomever is under center you know, if those guys can just prove that they can be, if they can, if they can identify one reliable third down target, you know, maybe not necessarily 
you know, the guy who goes down and averages 15, 16 yards a catch, but the guy who can average 10 catches finish in the top 10 as far as third down catches for first downs. That's really all this offense needs to take a big step forward. Just get to Marcus Williams. Come on. Possibly, yeah. And I like, mean, if he, if he catches if he catches forty passes at thirteen yards a game, uh, thirteen yards a catch, I'm not going to be surprised by that. Could he? Is there a case he's the best tight end in the conference? But could he be oh, better yeah. better than Trey McBride from Colorado State? Personally, I would put McBride at one, but I think that Williams probably has the inside track to being number two right now. Yeah. Okay, I'm just looking over at Athlon put out their all conference team, and he's on their second team. Marcus Williams is so yeah. So like the offensive line, like I was looking at their sack rate, like. It's it's kind of amazing that with how many quarterbacks they played, they were still pretty good in what was allowed. They were sec, or excuse me, third in the conference in sack in sacks allowed of just eighteen. Yeah, they were in the top forty nationally with a four point nine percent sack rate allowed. And I think that that's a credit again to Tuioti, where you know both yeah. he and Hall in particular, when they were under center, they had mobility, which I think helped. You know, the ability Definitely. to extend plays to get away from pass rushers and things like that. But they were also in the top sixty by stuff rate and power success rate as well, which I think goes back to the earlier point we we're talking about as far as you know the offensive line did its part to help the running game go as well. You know, the, the big problem that they're facing this year is they're having to replace three starters. And, and despite the fact that they're bringing back a couple of solid pieces in yeah. Kyle Stapley and, and Teton Saltis, you know, those two guys might be two of the more underappreciated athletes in the conference, in my opinion. No, I can but, definitely agree with that. Yeah, they could be potentially like all conference guys are close to it. And it's part of it, too. There's a name thing with New Mexico. It's like how, like, what they did last year is like, well, they're not great or whatever, this or that. People just perceive because their win total. Their running game was better. Even look at it, their running game was better than I thought. So if they can keep that mm-hmm. going, they're going to get respect. And who knows what they bring in, but like they have the mobile quarterback to assist a line that may need a week or so to get kind of get fine-tuned. Yeah, and I mean, they've got a couple of other guys who combined for 10 starts who I'm, I'm guessing they'll probably have the inside track to starting at both the guard positions, and that's Jacob Jankowiak and Kate Briggs. I think the big question right now is who's going to replace Javon Mosley at left tackle because behind those four guys, there's they have options, but there's not a lot of in-game experience. And so, you know, if they have the same kind of injury luck that, that hit them on both sides of the ball, we haven't even talked about that yet. Uh, you know, like Wyoming, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, this was another team that was among the FBS's leaders in, the, in, in players who started at least one game. I think they were at 44 or 45 as well. It's quite a bit. You know, if, if, if injuries hit the offensive line, you know, that's one of those unforeseen things that could, you know, make the whole thing turn ugly real quick. But I think if everybody stays healthy, this could be a, a, a decent group. If, even if there's no all conference performers in the bunch, you know, there, there's guys who could probably make the second team by season's end. I think if, if everything goes well, and if the team is able to surprise, I think the offensive line has the potential to be a part of that. Yeah, that's the most likely position. Maybe, like, uh, trying to dig deep, like, running back might be tricky because they also may not have one particular guy back there. Yeah. Um, receiver maybe, but it could be like a – because their passing game could technically, could sort of be like uh, Air Force a little bit where Gerard Sanders last year or they had, like, years before Jalen Robinette where they yeah. may have a guy who's super efficient, like – 35 catches, eight touchdowns, and like 395 yards. Is that good enough for all conference? Mm-hmm. Good numbers, good catch rate, good yards per catch, and all that stuff, or scoring. That may not be enough, but they're good enough to be 
obviously a clear threat for people need to watch out for on the other team. Yeah, yeah. But we'll see. All right, so what do we do for a de- – what, what do we got in defense here? Because that's kind of a, the bigger issue, I think, than their offense, clearly. It's, it's definitely the more intriguing part of this team, too. You know, if only because Rocky Long, like we mentioned, is coming back. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you run into the situation where you have to wonder, you know, how much, how far is, is coaching these guys up going to be able to take them? You know, because I think the big question that we had when we put it to our listeners, to our to our Twitter followers is, well, how long is it going to take Rocky Long to turn this defense around? And that's a difficult question to answer right away just because you can't help but wonder, you know, how much fun he might have had if some of the guys that theoretically could have returned – you know, had they not chosen to transfer. And I'm thinking primarily of guys like Aaron Blackwell, yeah. who went to Arizona, and Dylan Horton, who went to TCU. You know, you, you look up front, and, you know, that's really where it kind of all starts with the 3-3-5. Three, three, you know, they've got Langston Murray at nose tackle, who started a few games at the end of last year and, and had playing time all year long. And then you've got Jacoby Hearn, who, again, might have been underappreciated in the grand scheme of things last year, but he showed that he could be a pretty disruptive pass rusher. And that's it. Mm, not <laughs> yeah, they're having to re- they're having to replace pretty much everybody else on the defensive line and at linebacker. And so by extension, they're having to replace a lot of production from last year. Guys like Alex Hart, Mo Vinicolo are gone. You know, Aaron Austin is gone. So it's kind of an open question as to who's going to step into you know, those positions. And so I think that. You know, again, defending the run was probably the thing that they did best. They weren't quite as good at defending the run as they were running the ball on offense. But, you know, you're still looking at a team that last year they were 64th nationally in, in line yards per carry, which is, you know, right around the national average. And they were only slightly below average in, in stuff rate and sack rate. So, you know, you can kind of foresee the possibility that there might be a drop off in that regard, which I think would probably be a little bit frustrating. You know, they've got guys who could potentially step into the, to, you know, those positions, you know, like guys on the depth chart, like Justin Harris and Ben Gonzalo, Brandon shook, you know, the, all those guys saw playing time last year. And now all of a sudden it's going to be incumbent on them to try to just be as productive as the guys that left, like, you know, like Hart, like Monaco, mm-hmm. like, like Austin and Sellers and Blackwell and, and Horton, there's a lot to replace up front. Yeah, one thing too, like what you mentioned the defense, like Rocky Long, this, they've already been running the three three five, so they never went away from it. So it's not a situation where he can come in and change whatever they're doing to a style that is sort of seen because San, San Diego State does it, and so it's not foreign to these to, to in the conference. Had they had it going from that to his what his patented defense is, I could see mm-hmm. them maybe overperforming a bit. But he'll come in perfected or as best he can to who he has. Like, I kind of wish they had the other defense because bringing this in, it would have provided them to maybe overachieve than what they would have in keeping a similar defense. But you'll mm-hmm. have the guy behind it who knows what he's doing. All right, here's what we're going to do here. And Gonzalez is a defensive guy. Like, this is going to be a attempted, like, while the offense might be the better part of this team, I believe, this is going to be a defensive-focused team. And it's good to have these defensive coaches here to get that going because the offense does need work, as we mentioned. But the defense really needs some work. And you have these two guys who are going to want to get in there. And, okay, we lost transfer. Who cares? Who's the next guy here? They're not going to care who's gone. They're going to care who's there and how they can make better than be better than last year. Because last year there were times, like, they were not good. They gave up the most yards in the conference, nearly seven yards of play. Mm-hmm. Cut that down to one yard, 
how many points could I get you? you know I mean, they almost gave up 500 yards per game last year. I know 12 yards is not a great stat, but that's a lot if your defense gives up 485 yards per game. Exactly. And I mean, I think that, you know, we talked about at the, at the onset, you know, these Juco guys that brought Bob TV brought in with his last recruiting class. I think that there's opportunity for some more of those guys to really step up. Like Hearn was one of those guys. I think he's the best example of that strategy paying off. But, you know, other guys like James Lewis could break into the starting lineup. You know, Latavion Beaton in the secondary, you know, he could be that kind of, you know, Parker Baldwin, uh, Tariq Thompson type athlete who can do, you know, you know, defend in the box and defend the pass. You know, I think you know, Devin Sanders is another guy who could step in at linebacker. So there's there's guys who could step into the breach. It's just a matter of, you know, them stepping up and actually doing it, so, which is kind of the open question. You know, you mentioned the yards per play, though, and that gets to maybe their biggest weakness from last year, which was the fact that they could not defend the pass at all. Nope. They were beyond. By looking at the defensive radar, the passing – over at SP Plus or Bill Conley, it's like mm-hmm. their best spot was 100, 99 maybe, and passing SP Plus. Like they were nearly dead last yards for completion, completion rate, sack rate, all that stuff was uh, all goes towards the passing game, and it was just awful. So here's the plus side, guys. You can't be worse than last year, right? <laughs> Got to I mean, go up you're, somewhere. You're right, yeah, when we talk about positive regression, this is one of the things to talk about. You know, they were you know, next to last in the country in yards per attempt allowed at 9.4. You know, the 34 touchdowns they allowed was tied for last, and the four interceptions that they had was tied for the fewest in the country. There really is nowhere to go from up. And I think, you know, again, there's obvious areas of improvement, which is, you know, basically telling teams that, no, you're not going to be able to attack us early and often, because that's more or less what teams figured out they could do at will last year. On, On first downs especially, they were one of the worst teams in the country. You know, they were giving up a completion rate of 66.7. They gave up 25 plays of 25 plus yards on first down, which is almost unheard of. And, you know, on the upside, it's not a perfect unit, but there were guys who, you know, went through those trials last year. And if you're looking for a unit that has depth on the side of the ball, that's probably it. You know, they've got a young up-and-comer, for instance, in Dante Martin, who was very quietly one of the better freshman defenders in the conference last year. He was the only freshman who had nine passes defended, for instance. You know, his problem, along with everybody else, is just figuring out how to turn those pass defenses, which, you know, they weren't that far, the Lobos weren't, from being in the middle of the pack as far as being able to get their hands on the football. It's just a matter of being able to turn those into more turnovers. That's kind of going to be the, the the big question. I think they're going to have to solve in that unit. You know, what? they've got other guys who contributed last year, even if they weren't necessarily great. You know, Jarek Reed is probably going to nail down at least one of the safety spots. You know, Burton, like we mentioned a minute ago, could probably be another. But you know, again, I would imagine on the whole, there's going to be a lot of competition on all three levels of defense to just identify those best guys. But it wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me if Dante Martin developed into kind of a Darren Hall light this year as a guy who can cause, you know, opposing wide receivers fits, especially in in locking down the best weapon on the other side of the ball. Exactly. It's like, it's just, it's part of you mentioned this thing about the turnover thing. You mentioned it goes both ways. So create some turnovers, knock the balls down, do something. It's just going to be where Rocky Long, this is going to be one of his toughest coaching jobs ever. 
because you're literally taking the worst defense of the country and say, hey, let's go make them better somehow. What can you do? And I, this is going to be interesting to see. Like if the offense kind of takes off, like I think it could be to be better, they're going to, there's going to be a lot of, they're going to need the offense to win games. Defense just needs to make plays here and there, like make a big play on third down occasionally, do something to stop a team. Then maybe the yards will still pile up, but maybe they can force a field goal, get an extra turnover here and there. But it's going to be, uh, not that it could be a lot of shootouts, but I could see a lot of the games they end, they're going to need to score a lot of points to win. And if Rocky Long can mitigate that on defense, where, like those things I mentioned previously, that's how they're going to be close to games. But if the defense is, even if the defense is only 10% better, that's not good enough. They're still going to win like three games if that's the case. They need mm-hmm. to be significantly better and more consistent. They can't just be great versus Idaho State and UMass, but then. Yeah, they got Mississippi State, USC, Air Force, Boise State. They can't have a big swing. They need to try to change that where they're always like it's going to be tough in those games. We clearly know that. Mm-hmm. But if they could show signs of in areas where, okay, we know Kevin Slovis passed the ball well. If we can show some good stuff there, maybe they'll help us when we play Nevada, who's a team more on our level, relatively speaking. That's the type of stuff they look for, like the small victories to get confidence because you don't want to give up 400 yard passing yards a game like they nearly did last year. And so this could be a mental thing as well with Long's like, all right, we're playing this. We're going to Mississippi State um, with uh, Mike Leach, right? He's a, he's there. Lane Kiffin's uh-huh. all Miss. So, yeah, you go there. Mike Leach passing the ball. What are you going to do? we got to find little victories. It'll be a game-by-game thing where you can't just go out. We're going to be awesome. We're Division I football players. We got this. We're playing. And then get your brain beat. And you got to find areas where there's going to be negatives, but you got to find more positive than negatives, even if you lose a game 30-10 to 10 or 45-7 to 7 if they're playing USC, who should be pretty good moving the ball in the air. So that's part of it. Just have a mental thing, almost even more so than raw talent. But the talent's got to be good as well. But they're going to have to do the visual learning, those type of things out there where, okay, focus, visualize what to do, and be good at what you're doing. And maybe they'll make up with whether, because their talent may not be as great because they haven't been recruiting amazingly well. But if the scheme works out and they know what to do, that can offset like being a step slower than one guy or something. Yeah, and I mean, if you're looking for positives too, Yes, please. I need some. <laughs> the special teams it. was awesome last year. Excellent. That's good. And, you know, just in by SP plus, they were 20th, which I think was the best figure in the conference by any team not named San Diego State. Mm. And there's really no reason to think that they won't be as good this year because, you know, other than Dijon Rogers as, as the punt returner, everybody's coming back. You know, Andrew Shelley took a step forward after being really shaky in his first year as a starter um back in 2018 and Tyson Dyer is basically the best punter in the conference not named Ryan Stonehouse and you know there, but there's also an argument to be made that you know he could put together a season that is better than Stonehouse hmm. you know, he's another guy who could very easily be in the Ray Guy award mix by the end of the season um you know both of those guys are back and you know Martin or excuse me Carol rather um was you know more or less the quote-unquote primary kick returner and that was another unit that was above average so it wasn't like they had a problem handling field position or being able to flip the field when they needed to and so if they can continue being able to do that and if the offense can be a little more consistent and and at least put themselves in a position to finish more scoring drives with three points if not necessarily seven points and if like you mentioned if the defense can make another stop or two per game now all of a sudden you're not losing games by you know you're not giving up 37 points a game you might be giving up 
I don't know, 28 to 30. And even that can make a big difference in being more competitive in the long run. So I think, you know, Shelley and Dyer should definitely be in the mix for all conference honors by the end of the season. I think they've got that capacity in them. So if that's the case, if their special teams takes a step up, like we'll get to the, we'll get to the schedule here in a moment, but I even think like we're being pretty glowy here, glowing on this team, which I think there are areas where we should be. Defense clearly is an issue. It's still a team that needs to learn how to win these games. It's like when we talk about teams years past when UNLV wasn't very good and they've kind of never really been great or good recently, but they've gotten better, like the bowl game versus North Texas. Like they've been up to a level where they've gotten better. It's kind of in steps where don't get blown out. You're going to lose. So let's make it competitive. Then you win. This is going to be a year where there are going to be some blowouts in who we see on the schedule. But if you can, like I mentioned, just all these little positives here and there is what you really want. And the team overall, I think they're going to be better, but the win total clearly is not going to show it. Again, it's going to be a two- or three-year thing, but then it, then it goes back to they bring on those Juco guys. They'll be relying on young guys, so they could make a step this year, step next year, year three, maybe take a small step back. It might be, not be until year four after recruiting these guys currently now who could be redshirt sophomores or juniors where they make a big impact. And so that's how this team would be. But this year they got to – I don't know. The year's going to be ugly. I'm not going to lie. But I think there's po- enough positive to look at to where, okay, we got a first-time head coach who's did good things at San Diego State before. Arizona State's been competitive in the Pac-12 South, finishing in the top three the past couple years. Now he comes here. He gets his mentor with him as well. Here's the thing, too. Rocky Long's only going to be around for a couple years, Matt. I doubt he'll be there more than three seasons. Mm-hmm. And so this is just – I think what this is is like – he has a guy to talk to about, coach, what do I do? You've done this before. And Rocky Long, being a smart guy, will. He'll give him tips and stuff, but he's not going to give him all the answers because Gonzalez Danny's got to go through this himself as well. He can't just lean on Rocky Long forever and say, hey, what do I do, coach? Coach, what do I do? Come on. He's like, no, this is his gig. He's got to figure out his best way to do it. So these next couple years with Long are going to be very valuable for Gonzalez to learn. And it's going to be more helpful than him bringing – on some other defensive guy or other coaches who's a first-time coaching gig and they just bring all their buddies over because that's what the coaching is right now. It's who do you know and who can coach pretty good? Most most importantly, who do you know to get the job? And he knows Rocky yeah. Long, so bring Rocky Long over, soak that in, and then bring the best team you can in a couple of years. Because I think this hire, clearly the best hire, we didn't even really mention how great this hire is for them. It'll bring fans excited back. Our buddy Roger Holland knows Danny pretty well. He's kind of, he just knows him from years past. He knows Rocky Long. He obviously loves everybody in this team because he's part of the program years ago and what he's been doing now as well, kind of chatting with guys he knows within the program. But this is a hire. It's great. And there's going to be optimism for this team. And I think fans are okay to be patient and bring in the guy before who was 10 years in the broadcast booth. His claim to fame was he was at Notre Dame and did pretty good there. Pretty good. If they can answer most of their questions and other teams struggle to do that, you know, with the schedule that they have this year, this is the team that could give fits to a lot of other teams mm-hmm. if that happens. And it's the, it's a, it's the kind of team that, you know, if things break their way, could give headaches to even the most talented teams in the conference on their schedule. Like, I'm not going to say that they're going out they're going to go out and win eight games or anything like that. But, you know, they have that capacity to them to be a team that's going to cause problems. Let's say they're going to be Idaho State because Idaho State's they're going to beat Idaho State because yeah, they're, they're also ran in the big sky. You hey, know, hey did, whoa, did whoa, pick whoa. Up Tyler Van. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're being nice saying they're also ran. 
<laughs> they're no. they're not good. Maybe Vanderwall will do something, but they're they're not a good team. They're, hey, the Big Sky is a good conference at the FCS level, but they're it, like we talked last time. There's no Weber State here. Come on. Yeah, but it's a good opponent because Lobo scheduled nice as well. Like we'll get to these games because they got UMass, New Mexico State, winnable games, but then they got the next three weeks are really tough. They go yeah. to Mississippi State, which it's Mike Leach there. They're going to be throwing the ball lots in the SEC. That's going to be a lot, like a pretty good for surefire loss. They go mm-hmm. to USC the week later. And Kevin Slovis is going to throw the ball like crazy over them, and then they get. Yeah, I was going to say they're 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 going to figure out yeah. how passing how, defense how that secondary is coming together real quick. Yeah, those two teams like Mississippi State. They like they're giving them like a seven percent chance to win this team, even with the new coach. But like Mike Leach will come in and sling the ball around and. It'll be like playing freaking Hawaii whenever they played Hawaii last. Who knows? But mm-hmm. the secondary is going to be tested early on, and they're going to be one and two. Like, there's no point in us breaking down Mississippi State or USC. It's like, USC would be Kevin Slovis. Mississippi State, Mike Leach will want to throw five wide receivers the whole time. I guess the Mississippi, Mississippi State game, what we could see is that it is a new coach as well on their end. They may not be used to that type of game style, game plan, how quickly he wants to go, how many passes he wants to throw. There could be opportunities at secondary to make some plays and probably still a loss, but there's going to be plenty of chances to, with the team learning something brand new, with no spring, limited fall camp, to go out there and cause some, like you mentioned, some disruption and maybe only lose by three touchdowns instead of five. But there's going to, I think in that game, they can make a few plays here and there. And plus, Mike Leach isn't really known for defense. And so maybe That's this Lobos team, I mean, a 40 to 24 game could be realistic where they score a decent amount of points, maybe even 30. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they, they have a pretty good linebacker out there in Errol Thompson, who mm-hmm. could have gone to the NFL draft and probably got a, been a, a pick in the first couple of days. But he's back. And they did bring in a quarterback in KJ Costello, transferred from Stanford. He, dude, he's not going to throw the ball a million times. Stanford just hands the ball off. Come on. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> but, you know, I guess there's some question as to what the quarterback situation is going to be like. So if the passing game is shaky early on, that's the, that's another one of those things that could give New Mexico a chance to at least remain competitive for most of the game, if not necessarily to steal a win. You think, oh, wait, you think maybe a steal a win on the road? No, no, no. I'm not saying that, <laughs> that they're going to steal a win, but I think, you know, if it's the kind of game that's like, I don't know, 17 to three at halftime, because Mississippi state can't get things going. And, you know, maybe New Mexico's scuffling on offense, but the defense is hanging in there and, and really forcing them to work and things like that. I can see that kind of situation unfolding. Okay. I hear it, but no chance for USC, right? I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, like you said, they have Slovis coming back. And even despite the fact that they're replacing a lot of the pass catchers. Like Michael Pittman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they got, they're good to go, right? Didn't, I think so. Didn't they get New Mexico State at home? Or excuse me, on the road. That'll be tough just because they're coming three straight road games. You're playing, then you're playing a rival. And New Mexico State, like their level of play is fairly, they're they're on the New Mexico Lobos track, essentially. You know what I mean? They, they've kind of fallen back on hard times. Yes. But, I mean, this game is almost always competitive. You know, going back to 2014, five of the last six games between the Lobos and the Aggies have been decided by nine points or fewer. Was this the game as well a couple years ago when New Mexico made a huge comeback? It was Tuyoti who came in to lead that way in the second half? Uh was that yeah, the, they came up just short. Yeah, they scored yeah. like three or four and, second and of last touchdowns. Year it was fifty-five to fifty-two, and the Lobos won that oh, one. Oh yeah, there you go. But look at this team, like New Mexico State, really quick. They lose Jason Huntley, who's in the NFL with the Detroit Lions. I believe Josh Atkins is no, he is back. Sorry, he's going to be their big 
play guy, the quarterback. For some reason, I thought he was gone. But they yeah, have. They're also losing four of their top five receivers, I believe, as well. Yeah, and he had 15 interceptions last year. Not great. Did complete over 60 percent, which is pretty good. His average wasn't great, but like they lose your top receivers, lose your best running back. It might be this guy Christian Gibson, I believe. He's got about five yards of carry. He's a senior, so he'll be the guy. But replacing that much receiving talent, also don't they? Um, who, did they get a new coach this off season? Or do they still? Uh, have- no, Doug Martin is still there. Doug Martin, just making sure. Okay, but this is a game like the talent they're losing, what they typically been doing. And you're right, they have taken a step back because they were pretty good a couple years ago. Like they were well above. They went bowling a couple years ago. They didn't they beat Wyoming in the no no the uh, they beat Utah. State. Utah sorry, the Aggie Bowl in Arizona. That's right. So they've been good, but they've taken a step back. So I'm leaning toss-up victory, which I'm not too confident about. Well, if you go by SP+, Plus right now they give the Lobos a 59% chance to win this game on the road. Okay. Which is, you know, their third best win probability of any opponent. And honestly, I feel like it's it's kind of a litmus test for, you know, how how strong things are out the gate. But I do expect them to win this game against the Aggies, so I have that one penciled down as a win. Yeah, I think they get the win. It'll be, I think it'll be similar to what we've seen in the past, where it's pretty close, right? Yeah. And then they get UMass at home, and, and another back-to-back independent team is UMass. UMass is the highest win per, win percentage total, eighty percent, Matt. Utah <laughs> UMass was uh, was cover your eyes bad last year. Were they worse than UConn last year? They were abs- yes, they were <laughs> okay. And they no, opened like, like you know, just going by SP plus, for instance. I'm just going to throw this out there because um, you know the the main measure I think is like points against the schedule, or whatever. Like the the rating, mm-hmm. let's say. So New Mexico, like we talked about at the onset, they they weren't great last year. You know, they were 119th by SP plus overall, with a minus 17 rating. Right. <laughs> by, by, by comparison, UMass, UMass was dead last and they were minus 34.6. Oh, boy. And and if you go and, and follow Bill Connolly on Twitter, which if you aren't doing that already, you Come should. On. Come on, people. You, uh, did you see the graph of the Massachusetts defense last year? I did not get to, I didn't pull them up. Is it just narrow? It's, it's basically a dot. That's what I was going to say. It's a dot right in the center. Worse in than the Mexico. center. So, so folks, you want this to be wide. You want to be wide. If Mexico doesn't win this game, there's going to be problems. You know, it's also looking at like their their quarterback situation. They they did not have a quarterback. A single. Oh, this would have been hilarious if if their running back Bly Ollie would have had a few more yards. They would have had more rushing yards than passing yards by their top pass catcher or pass or quarterback. Randall Thanks. West, 864 yards, led the team in passing. Bilal Ali, if I'm saying that properly, 853 rushing yards. Andrew mm. Britta Brito had 830. They Their passing game was abysmal. 15 touchdowns, 16 picks, played four guys at quarterback, really three, but they lo- and they do have the running back there returning Ali, but like this, no. Th- there's this no. Was, this was a bad team in New Mexico, should beat them. They should win, so. That's a victory for me. So I'm sitting here right now at, ooh, a surprising three and two, Matt. The schedule is is manageable. It's manageable, and then they go. Here's what they got next. They start their league play in earnest at CSU, host Nevada, at Utah State. I don't think they're winning any of those games. Personally, I don't either. But the, but if we're talking about the the capacity to surprise, mm-hmm. 
Like, which of those games do you think they are most likely to win? I'd say the weakest of the group is Utah State, but it's also on the road. Mm-hmm. So I'd probably lean toward Nevada being the most likely one because it's at home. Nevada, they should be pretty good. They're, they're I think they're going to be contention to win the West, but more than pretty good. But they're mm-hmm. not a team, before what we've seen with Norvell, their coaching, that they're going to come out and just rock any team they play. There's a lot of – maybe I'm misspeaking here. I could pull it up and check. But, like, when they're playing teams, they're not really just going through and taking care of business, like easy victories over teams they should beat. Because, remember, they uh, the whenever they play the Canada game versus UNLV, it's never an easy victory. I know it's a rival. But when they play teams they really should beat, they're not really – they're winning some most of those games, but they're not going out and saying, right, we got this 40-10. to 10. We got the mm. confidence. We're going to go beat you big time. Like, these, like just last year, really quick. Weber State, 19-13, to not a good team. UTEP, a bad team, only 37-21. San Jose State was better last year, but still not great, only won by three points. They mm. only beat New Mexico by 11 last year. Like, they only beat Fresno by seven, and Fresno wasn't very good. So, the only like they have no blowouts on their schedule. Like, teams, teams that could be easily, their biggest win was New Mexico, 21-10, or excuse me, UTEP, 37-21. And so, they're not a team that's going to go and blow them out, which helps New Mexico keep it, keep it going and keep in pace with this game. So that could be a surprise victory. I'm still not putting even toss up, but I'd probably lean toward Nevada just because they typically, whenever they play a team, unless it's really, really good, like Oregon last year, they're going to play to that level of team. And that's not a good thing. Maybe they'll change, but historically that's what they've been doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I know I've mentioned this a couple times that I'm relatively bullish on the Wolfpack this year, but if they fall into that kind of fits and starts pattern that they had last year, where, you know, they, just had certain games where they didn't show up and were very erratic on on offense, which theoretically should be what they do best. You know, especially since they get that game against Nevada at home, New Mexico could steal that one. Yeah. So okay, so do you have them winning any of those three games? Uh, personally, I don't. Okay. But you know, and if if you just go and look at SP Plus, I think what you see is like there's there's other than Boise State, there's and maybe Air Force if you want to throw them in that situation, depending on how optimistic you are about the Falcons this year. There's there's not any real no hope kind of games. Like I think that they could have a shot to win. I would say six of the eight games on in their in their conference schedule. Interesting. I think the, I think the least likely games they are to win are that home game against Boise State and on the road at Air Force. But like is it Air Force at home this year? Or am I incorrect on that? Did I write that down? No, I believe they're. I believe they're on the road. I'll double Force. check here in a second. But I think that, like I said at the beginning, like if if they can handle their problems and other teams struggle or fall off or regress or or plagued by injuries or whatever, I think they could steal a win or two against pretty much everybody else on the schedule. Interesting. I, I'm not leaning that far. I could see it. Like, like they go to Hawaii. That's gonna be tough. They yeah. like I think I put it Wyoming in that group where they're probably not going to beat them because of what I think Wyoming can do, especially if the New Mexico defense doesn't perform well. It's also the last game of the year, game thirteen for them, and so a million things will change. But like out of all the conference games, like I I don't I'm not as op- optimistic as you for New Mexico. I'm looking at maybe three max they can win, and that's being kind of generous. Like San Jose State at home, home to Nevada. And probably maybe four if I want to consider Utah State and not Hawaii, but the road games, so I'll just split those in half and go like maybe three games. 
but I just don't see them. I don't have them winning that many. But that's the only thing. Like they're not going to be Boise State Convention. Air Force isn't the road. I wrote it down improperly in my chart here. Wyoming, maybe if the offense doesn't get going, but they have the best running back in the conference and a good defense. It's really good. So, so maybe maybe we could rephrase the question like this: because if you look at SP Plus, the most likely projection of conference wins is two. They give the Lobos a thirty-two point three percent chance to win two conference games. If you had to pick two games for them to win, who do you think those <laughs> games are? I got one hosting San Jose State. Okay. Um, if I pick a second, like the road thing, I just don't trust the team on the road. But if it's a tough one, I want to lean toward Nevada, but I think Nevada will beat them. I just think as a road, I don't see them going on the road because they're easier games are on the road, like Hawaii on the road, Utah State on the road, CSU on the road. Those are. I'll yeah. What am I doing here? I'm trying to decide exactly. I'm going to say San Jose State for sure. I think that's an agreement, right? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. If if I'm going to pick a two, I will go. I'll go. I'll go. Colorado State. <laughs> okay, but I don't like it at all. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to put Hawaii in that basket as the was, second most likely. I was debating with Hawaii, but I, I just don't d- see Just it. because, you know, when you when you look into their recent history, you know, especially if, if Hawaii struggles on defense, which we haven't talked about the Warriors, we'll get to that. I think New Mexico is likely to cause the most headaches against teams that may have dicey defenses. Yeah. And so I think that, you, like we talked about San Jose State, I think it might be in that conversation, probably is. Uh, Utah State and Hawaii are probably two and three in that regard. But I think that, you know, this is a team that, other than last year, has had Hawaii's number. You know, they won, what, seven straight before last year against the Warriors, believe it or not. So I think that, you know, if it takes a while for Todd Graham and company to get things going on the islands. That's a game that they could go out there and win because, well, I mean, they won their last four games on the island. Believe it or not. That's pretty surprising. Ah, so you're going to pick two. Here's my reason for CSU. It's because the defense, I don't think it'd be great. As we discussed in our first show, we did talking to Rams. They got a great passing game, which kind of counter counteracts against that secondary. It's just a team where they can, CSU, they have, like New Mexico, kind of a culture of just losing random games. And so that's where I could see that happening. But that's kind of my reasoning there because the defense will – they might be better, but they're not going to be good, I don't think, by any stretch. So that's why. But I have them winning one conference game, one and seven, four and nine overall. Yeah, I, I feel like I was maybe dancing around things a little bit because I, <laughs> I have them going 0-8 in conference. Oh and 8 They're losing to the Spartans? Yes. Ooh, it's at home. Come on. You don't give that Al- dream style. What, oh, sorry. That's not the name anymore. Do we know the name of the stadium? Has, has it changed yet? That's a good question. I hadn't thought about that. Let's just put the stadium in Albuquerque where they play football. That's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we'll that. So what's your reason for them not beating San Jose State? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, without spoiling too much, I'm kind of staking my claim on San Jose State taking another step forward this oh, year. We are, we're well aware of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, like I said, I think that's one of those games that's likely to be the most competitive for New Mexico on the schedule. Like, I'm not saying that they can't win that game. But I just, I think the Spartans can go in there and pull it out. Because I think if, if the Spartans can, I, I kind of assume mostly best case scenario for all teams. 
and in that case, I think that you know San Jose State should be able to move the ball and put up points against this New Mexico defense, and that's where I kind of give them the edge. Okay, that's fair. I just think uh, with San Jose State losing the quarterback, which is the big thing for Jordan, or excuse me, Josh Love not being there. I know they got or Nick Nash and Nick was it Nick Stevens from Arkansas coming in. Nick Starkle. Or sorry, Nick Starkle. Nick Stevens was the old Rams quarterback. Sorry, apologies. Yes. I just they got the coach there. It's I'm labeling it as a toss up if that makes New Mexico or Spartans fans who are listening to this feel any better. But I just think uh neither team's gonna be very good. I know you like the Spartan maybe I'm I should trust Brett Brennan more, but I think here's another reason why. Lobos aren't going to lose every game in conference play. I'm pretty sure they're going to get, win at least one game. And this is the most winnable game on their schedule. And that's kind of why I'm leaning that way in conjunction. Yeah, that, that's reasonable. With I mean, a, going, yeah. going back to what, we, what I mentioned a couple minutes ago about the probability of conference wins, like they, they're given a, like I said, 32% chance of winning two games. They're only given a 9% chance of winning zero games. So, again, there's there's a pretty good chance that they'll cause some headaches to some degree somewhere on the schedule. It's just, for me, it's kind of hard to predict where, and I tend to hedge a little bit when it comes to those kinds of things. But when you just talk about wins overall, you know, their most likely scenario by SP Plus is they win three games. Mm-hmm. They're given a 28% chance to win to do that, but they're also given a 15% chance to win five games. And a, in a basically a 5.8% chance to win six and, and possibly go bowling. So it's not inconceivable that they surprise if things come together. And, and you know, if we want to talk about like 98th percentile or 99th percentile, yeah, this is a team that could go bowling if, because they could surprise some teams, especially if, if other teams that we've talked about, um, you know, like Colorado State or, you know, Wyoming, if they aren't able to address their most pressing problems and New Mexico could steal wins. From okay. That. You never know. Actually to go bowling since they play 13 games, you got to win seven, Matt. Oh, that's right. That's so right. sorry. 1.4 chance to go bowling. 1.4. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Good catch. <laughs> but I just look at, but you're not wrong. Like that's the two to five wind, two to five wood window. Cause 50% is what? One in six, one in six and a half. That's not unlikely to happen. You know what I mean? Like that's a decent chance that happened. Give me 15% chance to, Win twenty grand, I'll take that. You know what I mean? That's pretty good odds, right? Just saying. Yeah. But if you're out there, and if we're if we're here's how here's how they're gonna do it if they can do it. Got to beat Idaho State. Got to beat New Mexico State. Got to beat UMass. Can they win? I'm not gonna because there's no way they're going blind to get to seven. But to get to five, that's like all you gotta do is win two of your last eight to get to five. Mm-hmm. And I already got them at one, so there's possibility. It's doable. Will it happen? I, I here's the. I wouldn't be surprised. Like I'm, if I were to say, what's the win cap? Like the ceiling? I'm gonna go five. I don't think they can get more than five, but they're not gonna get a lot fewer than three wins either. I think they're between that three and five win range. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I think way back at the very beginning, they could improve and may not necessarily. You may not necessarily see it in the win loss column. Yeah, because if they go lose to Nevada, CSU, and Utah State by combined fourteen points. That's stuff you want to see. You just don't want to get blown out. Like, if there's any game on the schedule where the blowout's most likely to happen, it's probably like I'm talking blow. I'm talking three plus touchdowns. Probably USC and Boise State. That's probably about it. Air Force mm-hmm. doesn't have the offensive firepower to typically blow somebody out. Neither does Wyoming. Hawaii. They're not going to be as great. They lost all the receivers. Depending what their offense really looks like, that's a maybe. But there's only a couple of games where they should be like non-competitive. 
And that's kind of where you want to be. You want to be close in the, these games. Like, could they beat Utah State on the road? Maybe. I'm not going to pick it, but there's a possible chance they could upset the Aggies. But that's why this, it's like they're kind of in a, a tight window. Like I said, three to five wins. If they get a six, that's way better. If they get fewer than two, there's something wrong. I'd agree with that assessment, yeah. Any final thoughts on the Lobos? I think I'm all set. It's good. They're going to be interesting to watch. I'm really fascinated by this new era that they've found themselves in. Yeah, we'll see. With new coach, there'll be excitement around the program with who's coaching there and all that type of stuff. But it's going to be maybe a couple years away where they're bowl eligible, maybe even year, year two possibility, possibly. But right now, I've got four and nine. You have three and ten. Is that right? Yes. All right. So that wraps up our Lobos preview. We're a quarter of the way through. No, we're 33% of the way through. Four teams. We've done CSU, San Diego State, Wyoming. So if you haven't heard those, you want to check out those, head over to over at, we're at what, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you find your podcast. Just search Mountain West Wire. We're there. We're updating these every week. we got our top 50 countdown coming up, position rankings coming up, um, out-of-conference previews in progress and upcoming we've got quite a few. But that's it for the show. We'll be back next week and – did we mention our Twitter handle, Matt? Should we mention the very end, MWC Wire? We have now. We have now. So if you listen to the end, you can tweet at us and yell at us or compliment us or whatever. But, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.